0: Let us pray. God, take our ears and hear through them. Take our minds and think through them. And take our hearts and set them on fire. For Christ's sake, we pray. Amen. Well, on the Sundays of this um, Lenten season, we will hear a lot of stories. This morning, we've already heard the story of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness uh, next Sunday, it's the story of Nicodemus coming late at night with a lot of questions for Jesus. We'll hear the story of a conversation Jesus has with a woman at a well. A story of Jesus healing a blind man. A story of Lazarus being raised from the dead. And then all the stories of Holy Week, of Good Friday. Of, uh, of, East, of Palm Sunday of Good Friday and then of Easter morning. I'm reminded of an article that uh, Salman Rushdie, the renowned novelist, wrote a while back. It was titled... The stories we love make us who we are. And he wrote about the stories that he grew up hearing. But more broadly, he wrote about the power of those stories that all of us have grown up with uh, to, make, to shape us, to make us who we are. So in Lent, we hear these stories um, that the church has loved. Stories that the church has told and retold, written down and preserved. And that we read again and again and again. We read them because we trust that these stories will make us who God has created us to be. And so this morning we begin with this story of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. It's a story about what makes a good life, a full life, a meaningful life. It's a familiar story. We read it because we are tempted and we keep reading it because we keep being tempted. The story comes early in the public life of Jesus uh, We're told that he was led by the Spirit out into the wilderness, that he was tested or tempted by the devil, that he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and that he was famished. And these temptations are about what he will do uh, or not do, where he's willing to go or not go, how he will wield power. So first, will he turn stones to bread? Because if he'll do that, he will not only do good, he will do well for himself. What will he do? Will he go to the top of the temple and take a flying leap? Man, that would go viral. He would be famous. How far is he willing to go? And will he grab the kind of power that only a few people in history have ever attained? Will he rule an empire upon which, as they say, the sun never sets? Those are important questions. But in this story, there's something more. There's something deeper going on. And the tempter gives it away. So right there in verse 3, the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God. If you are the Son of God. It's important to know that right before this narrative, there's the story of the baptism of Jesus. Jesus baptized by John in the River Jordan. As Jesus comes up out of the water, we're told that the heavens opened The Spirit descended like a dove, and a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. And the very next thing that happens, Jesus is faced with this question. If, if you are the Son. See, these temptations are fundamentally about who Jesus will be. Not just what and where and how questions. These are who questions. Questions about the identity of Jesus, his character, his sense of self. He's got his whole life ahead of him. It's got to be tempting knowing that he could be rich. He could be famous. He could be almost unimaginably powerful. Will he be God's son or not? Will that relationship determine his life or not? Will he go his own way? Will he follow his own truth? Will he live life on his own terms? We read this story, of course, because it tells us about Jesus, um, but it also tells us about ourselves. Most of the time, most of our energy is spent answering what and where and how questions. Every day, there are always choices and opportunities and decisions and openings and temptations. What are we going to do? Where are we willing to go? How will we wield the power that all of us, in some measure, have? That's just part of being human. The question underneath it, though, is what kind of human? Who are we? Who do we want to be? And the thing is, the way we answer that who question generates most of the answers to all of those other what and where and how questions that we face every day. So in Matthew 4, uh, Jesus shows us who we are created to be, shows us who we can be, It it, shows us what it looks like when we know ourselves to be beloved of God, when we know ourselves to be children of God. Jesus is, first of all, tempted to make bread from stones, which is a good thing. What will he do? Well, sort of surprisingly, he refuses, and that's always puzzling. I mean, later he's going to feed thousands of people with just five loaves and a couple of fish. Why not here? But deeper than the what will he do question is the who will he be question. And that who question is always relational. Jesus knows that bread alone can't satisfy our deepest hunger. We need bread for our bodies, of course. But if that's all we have, it's never going to be enough. And truthfully, most of us here have more food than we need. If we're not careful, though, we can end up being overfed but undernourished. We need bread for our bodies, but we need more. We need to know that we're not alone. We need acceptance. We need care and support. We need purpose. We need to know that we are loved, that we are truly and deeply loved by God, that we are loved like we are children of God, like God keeps a picture of us as the wallpaper on her phone. We need to know who we are. Second, Jesus is tempted to make a spectacle of himself, to go to the top of the temple to throw himself off the turrets. Will the angels save him or not? Jesus is tempted to test God. We are always tempted to make our relationships instrumental, to use people to get what we want, to use God to get what we want. But when we use people, when our only concern is what we can get out of them, what happens? It creates distance, it creates doubt, it creates distrust in relationships. That's not love. Love doesn't use people. Love doesn't use God. That's not who we're created to be. Love is not about what we can get for ourselves out of someone else. Love is about what we can make and share and create together. That's the kind of people we're created to be. And then the third temptation, well, that's just plainly about power. I mean, throughout the Gospels, Jesus will wield a lot of power. He will heal people. He will feed people. He will forgive people. He will move people, challenge people. In the Gospels, Jesus is dynamic, strong, charismatic, influential, powerful. For him... And for us, it's always a temptation to hold power over people. It's always tempting to control, to manipulate, to force people to do what we want. And usually, we can figure out a way to imagine that it's for a good purpose. We can even convince ourselves that using the power of violence, the power of military, of might, of war, we can almost convince ourselves that that's one way to love people. But that is not what the love of God looks like. And in the stories of Holy Week, Jesus will show us what the power of God's love looks like, even in the face of death. Jesus will show us what it looks like to be beloved of God, what it looks like when we know ourselves to be loved by God. So underneath the what, the where, the how questions in these temptations that Jesus faces is the deeper question, who will he be? And amidst all the choices and options and opportunities and temptations that we face, it's the same question. Who are we? And who do we want to be? Can we trust that we are beloved of God? Can we trust that we, that each of us, that all of us, that everyone is made in the image of God? Can we hear the voice that is saying still, this is my son, this is my daughter, this is my child? Because that kind of love, can cast out the fears that too often drive us. That kind of love isn't scarce. It isn't zero-sum. That kind of love doesn't constantly have to be earned. We don't have to consistently prove ourselves worthy. That kind of love doesn't seek power over or power against. But that kind of love recognizes that we all have the power of dignity and voice and agency. That kind of love that's embodied in Jesus, that's shown in this story of temptation, can make us who we are created So recently, I've um, come across several articles um, that describe a longitudinal study on human happiness. And maybe you've seen some of these articles, it's called the Harvard Study of Adult Development. For 85 years, 85 years this study's been going on, researchers have been tracking people to, to try to understand what makes us flourish, what makes for healthy, fulfilling lives. And Robert Waldiger, who is a psychiatrist at the medical school and is the current director of this study, a study that started before he was even born, uh, is the co-author of, a book, uh, co-author of a book that's come out recently on the research. It's titled The Good Life. Well, as you can imagine, there's a lot that goes into living a good life, and so they write about the importance of exercise, and they suggest trying meditation, and they recommend for men especially uh, seeking a therapist to manage stress. But the central finding, number one secret to living a happy life, is not especially surprising so in an interview I listened to uh, last month on NPR the host asked him if people could change one thing in their lives to be happier what should they choose according to the data and Waldegger's response was they should invest in their relationships with other people we found that the strongest predictors of who not just stayed happy but who was healthy as they went through life the strongest predictors were the warmth and the quality of their relationships with other people. Good relationships lead to happiness and health. It's always tempting, and I think especially in our culture, it's always tempting to go our own way, to see ourselves as independent, as autonomous, as self-sufficient. We're taught that we can make it on our own, but that doesn't lead to a good life, or a full life, or a meaningful life. Frederick Buechner, who's been a wise spiritual guide for me, and I think for many others, once wrote, You can survive on your own, you can grow strong on your own, you can prevail on your own, but you cannot become human on your own. You cannot become human in the way that God has created us to be on your own. It requires other people, it depends on the quality of relationships. And as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we have come to understand that the quality of our relationships, our capacity, To love others depends on the quality of our relationship to God. It depends on our connection to the love of God. You hear it in 1 John, 1 John 4, the author writes, we love because God first loved us. The writer goes on, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. To love well, we have to know that we are loved. And the more that the love of God lives in us, the more we can love others. The more we can love our neighbors as ourselves. The more we can even get close to loving our enemies, although some days that seems pretty aspirational. The more we love, the more love there is. That's really the heart of the gospel. That's the good news. That the love of God is not scarce. It is abundant, indiscriminate, unending. Often... We face those what and where and how questions, or when we face those what and where and how questions we answer. And it's not just us. I mean, this is true in our culture, it's true in our economy, it's true in our politics. We answer those questions as if life is a zero-sum game. We're afraid that if someone else gets something, it means we're going to get something less. At the core of most of our decision-making is a fear that there is not enough. But if we trust that we are beloved, if we trust that is who we are, then there's always enough and more than enough. Once we answer that who question, it changes the way we answer the what and the where and the how questions. Because if God is love, it means we don't live in a world of scarcity. It means we don't live in a world that is controlled by fear. We don't live in a world that requires violence and force and manipulation and might to set it right. I'm convinced that the quality of our relationships to others derives from, is determined by our relationship and the quality of our relationship to God. Now, one of the other interesting uh, findings in this study is that the quality of our relationships to God and the people around us um, depends on intentionality. In this study of adult development, um, they sent out surveys to respondents every two years. And one of the interesting things that they found is that for many of the participants, the simple act of filling out that questionnaire, of being interviewed regularly, was very helpful. Being asked to think about themselves, being asked to reflect on the people they love was a meaningful practice. And so the director said, or he wrote actually, this is from an article in The Atlantic, um, this is a practice that could help anyone. Looking in the mirror and thinking honestly about where your life stands is a first step in trying to live a good life. And that's the purpose of Lent. Lent is a season to be thoughtful, to be intentional, to be purposeful about our relationship with God, It is so easy, so quickly, to get caught up in the what and the where and the how questions. When am, when am I supposed to pick up the kids? How am I going to get this project done on time? Where are we going on vacation this summer? It's easy to lose sight of the deeper who question. It's a season to be thoughtful, intentional, purposeful. about our relationship to God and about our relationships to the people around us, to the people that we love, our families and our friends, and the people that are part of this, the, severe, the sphere of our everyday life, the people we see at work, the people who make us coffee, the people we pass on the street. Are we loving our neighbors as ourselves? Are we living in the world with the compassionate and just and merciful um, and abundant love of God? Lent is the season to look in the mirror literally. So when you are in the morning getting dressed, When you're brushing your teeth at night, take a moment to stop. Look in the mirror and ask yourself, who am I? Who do I want to be? Who am I created to be? We're going to hear a lot of stories this Lenten season. What's the story of your life? Amen.